Today we pick up with 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. That's our text. The subtitle is Called to Uniqueness, part 3. And the title is, We Are Not Like Them. But I want to back up just a little bit because whether you were here or not last week, if you weren't here, maybe you should get online and listen to the message. Better yet, read what the Bible says about baptism. I want to show you a slide that we talked about last week, baptism. And this slide was to illustrate that basically if we have questions about baptism, if you want to have a light bulb go off in your head to be enlightened about that biblical subject, you want to get your information from the Bible. That makes sense. It's a biblical subject. Learn from the Bible what it says. And then you'll come to a conclusion. Uh, you'll come to the truth, which light bulb will go off in your head and you'll understand baptism. However, I want you to know how things sometimes play out. We talk about a subject like baptism or any other subject that we talk about here in church, whether it's Sunday school or a Bible study or even in your homes when you're having a Bible study, if you actually peel back the Bible and come up with the truth and start to understand it in a way you might not have ever understood it, the devil will try to come in. And he will try to distract you and dull what you think you understood. And, and he'll get rid of those things that you gathered from Scripture and start having outside input into your belief of the Bible, and the Bible becomes secondary. This is what happens. And the way that plays out is like this. Ah, oh, yeah, I was there. I, I heard that about baptism. I heard what the preacher said. I don't... You know what? Another preacher says something different. Or this author in this book says something different. Or my parents taught me something else. Or I went to another church and I learned this other way. All these external influences. Or you might be talking to a friend. You know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. You know what? It doesn't matter what the preacher believes. It doesn't matter what you were taught in church doesn't matter what your parents taught you. doesn't matter what your friend says, what the author says, the expert on TV. doesn't matter. When it comes down to it, when you're talking about a biblical subject, let the Bible dictate your beliefs. Would you agree? Don't get distracted by what other people say. Not even me. So, I say that as a precursor to today's subject. <laughs> As we go through and talk about something we've already talked about, like I said, the subtitle is called Uniqueness Part 3. So we've already covered some of this. I'm going to show you something. This is a slide I, I made, and I did it for a, some blogging that I do. I don't do it as often as I need to, but I created this slide to kind of illustrate where we are. I did this slide, it's probably about a year ago, when it went with an article uh, for a blog and for a newspaper article. So basically what it's supposed to be saying to people who see it is that our current supposedly news sources, are, they basically are, if you're paying a whole lot of attention to most of them, you probably have your head in the sand because they've guided you there and you don't see reality. That's the world in which we live. Christians, of all people, should get this. 
And I don't care if you love Fox News. Even Fox News has a bias. You, you need to get your information. If you want to get great wisdom, listen to the wisdom of God above whatever anybody else says, including whoever's standing on this stage right now. So, let's open it up. See what it says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we'll begin. Since therefore Christ suffered... Now, there we go with therefore again. What's the therefore, therefore? We've got to pay attention. It's because we've just been talking about a few things. We'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, and he did, that's what the cross is all about, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking... Now, hold on just a second. I want you to grab an idea. We're supposed to arm ourselves with thinking. I wish I had more time to talk to you about arming yourself and what, what the Bible says about those sorts of things. But he's specifically talking about uh, for spiritual battles and for thinking. Arm yourselves. Look what it says. It, with the same way of thinking. And here's an illustration behind me. You have a, a man, and this man, you can kind of see, I kind of superimposed a brain. So you can imagine where his brain is, his physical brain. But I want you to notice what it looks like when he is disarmed. Keep that visual as we go back to the Scripture. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. In other words, there is a possibility that you, Christians, could be disarmed in the way you think. So we're encouraged by Scripture. There's a reason why God inspired Peter to write this, so that we would listen, we would read it and understand you could be disarmed. So arm yourself. You don't want to be disarmed in a spiritual battle. And specifically, arm yourself with this way of thinking. What, what way of thinking? The way Jesus thought. The way we've been, we've been talking about this. He willingly suffered for the greater good. That's what he did. And we're supposed to be willing to think the same way. This flies in the face of everything we will be taught in modern universities and from our media sources that don't know Christ. When you read this, it continues. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wait a minute, hold on a minute. That might cause a conflict in our minds, so I want to clear it up. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's hard to understand when you read somewhere else, well, wait a minute, where you cease to sin. I want you to grab the biblical concept, and you don't have to go very far in the New Testament. In fact, you can even go in the Old Testament, but... What God is talking about, what sin does, this idea of separating us, and this idea of that Christians are different than non-Christians when it comes to sin, it doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means that you have stopped the practice of perpetually sinning. Continual sin. I want you to see this. This is just one of many passages I could take you to for the sake of time. We're not going to do a bunch. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. If we deliberately... Keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, so we know better. No sacrifice for sins is left, 
but only a fearful expectation of, raging, of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What this is talking about, look at this phrase here, keep on sinning. This is continual sin. Christians are different, and this is written to Christians. You can become an enemy of God if you keep on sinning. That's the distinction. Christians live for Jesus. They don't keep on sinning. You, yes, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to sometimes make repeated mistakes. But you understand your goal is to please the Lord. You must modify your behavior to please the Lord. You can't keep doing that. That's what, he's, that's what we're talking about. We cease with this continual sin behavior. And back to the scripture, you'll see what we started with. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We stop chasing after whatever feels good, our passions. There was a preacher who was preaching at the Kaimichi Men's Clinic in Hanobia, Oklahoma. Anybody know where that is? <laughs> yeah, it's out there. But in Hanobia, Oklahoma, this, they bring in some really good preachers every year for the Kaimichi Men's Clinic. And this man said, he had my attention, he said something very funny and it, it stayed with me. He said that he pulled up behind a car that had a bumper sticker on it that said, do whatever feels good twice. And the preacher said, so? I rammed him. <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, he was joking, obviously. But do whatever feels good is, is what the world tells us. Chase your passions. If you travel much in airports, you will always find a whole pile of books that are all about self-help, the newest and the greatest book on helping yourself. And, it, and they almost always seem, seem to center around, you do what makes you feel good. That's the way of the world. It's, it's what People who don't know Christ, they keep chasing after their passions and they continue to fall short, not finding any hope, not finding any peace, not finding any rest. As Solomon was given the opportunity, have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? You want to see somebody who's depressed, read that book. I'm sure you understand the whole concept. I, did, I should have given you a, an image, but... If you haven't read the book, Living on the Ragged Edge by Chuck Swindoll, great book. Highly recommended if you want to wrap your head around what happened to Solomon. Envision this. Solomon is now a modern day person. We have to pick somebody. Now, it's hard to do because the experts who've gone back in time and measured the wealth, the approximate wealth of Solomon and compared it to today's dollars, still say that Solomon was the wealthiest man who's ever been on the planet. He didn't ask for that. When he was given the throne, he was nervous, and he, what did he ask for? Do you remember? 
Wisdom. Yeah. And we got this thing in our head. We think that when we ask God for something, he's just going to slip it in our back pocket while we sleep. Boom. There you go. You wake up one day, you ask for wisdom. You just wake up and you're, you have wisdom. That's what we think. That's not the way it works. James also tells us if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask for it. But be careful. Asking for wisdom is just as dangerous as asking for patience. You ask for patience, God's going to give you something to teach you patience. You ask for wisdom, just look at the life of Solomon. He gave Solomon a life of learning wisdom. How did that play out? Well, here's how it played out. If we were to pick a modern-day person, imagine this. Imagine as we, let's say something... Whatever we're doing from others, let's say we all go out to the parking lot. We're not doing that. That's not the plan. But let's just say that we all go out to the parking lot, everybody in their cars out there who can hear right now, and we, go all, we all go out there. And when we do, an unexpected thing happens, and we've got to pick somebody. So I'll go ahead and do it for you. I would have picked LeBron James if it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe, but not now. Um, maybe, let's just pick... Um, why don't we pick Bill Gates? Just pick him. Here's a real wealthy guy. We'll pick Bill Gates. We've heard before we came, Bill Gates is in the area. And, we, and if you'll know you see him if, if you see this silver Bentley convertible. We don't see those much anyway. So Bill Gates is in the area while we're having church. We go out in the parking lot, and next thing you know, he flies into the parking lot in his convertible by himself, because, you know, they split. And anyway, uh, he flies in the parking lot by himself, and he does this half donut right in front of all of us, and we're like, whoa, that's Bill Gates. And some of us are thinking, I'd like to get his autograph. I don't know what he's doing here, but I wanna, that's, that, I'd like to be him. Some of us might think that. And then as he does this, he flings open the door so that we can see fully. This is Bill Gates. Look at his fancy pants. Anyway... He flings open the door and he says, it's not worth it. That's Ecclesiastes. Solomon had all the wealth, had more wealth than anybody has ever had. He had everything at his fingertips. He, he had 40 years of peace too as a leader. That's incredible. He had, I know this sounds bad, but God gave it to him. He had all the women any man could ever want plus more. And it only led to problems. He was a womanizer. He was allowed to have access to everything that your passion, any, anything that you could desire. He had it. And what did he say at the end of his life? It's all worthless. It's not worth it. Everything under the sun, you are not going to find what you're looking for here on earth. It's above this, all of this. None of this compares with knowing God. And Solomon wrote about that. But the world tells us to chase those things. They, they, they glamorize people that are chasing after these things and they, they hide their struggles. God gave us a Bible that gives us the whole truth. <clears throat> so we're not supposed to we're no longer going to be chasing after our human passions, but we're supposed to be trying to live for the will of God. That's, that's what Christians are supposed to do. Let me, let me say it clearly. 
If it can bring glory and honor to Jesus and help others in their relationship to Him, then suffer through it. That's what we're being told so far in our text. That's what we've been told so far in the book of 1 Peter. Let's move on to verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality. Now, this is what the Gentiles chase after. The people that are non-believers. Chasing after. The time is past. Stop. It's over. You've decided to commit to Christ, so don't be like them. They want to chase after things that are whatever is sensual, whatever their desires. They chase those things. Their passions. Drunkenness. I, I say it like this, and I think it's probably something that even if I weren't a Christian, I would say this. I, by the way, it's not a sin to drink. You do know this, right? It's not a sin to drink alcohol. Uh, but I rarely ever taste it. I, I have this thing. There's something maybe wrong with my palate. I don't know. But I, I, there was one drink that I tasted, and I thought, wow, for a change, finally, there's some alcohol that actually tastes good. It was at McMinimum's. I don't remember which one was the one I was at when I first tasted it. It's, it's a ginger beer. Has anybody heard of this? I tasted it. I thought, oh, my goodness, this tastes so good. And I, I can't believe it. It's like I never tasted any alcohol that tastes good to me. I mean, there's some alcohols that you, you taste, and it's got a good smell and a good aftertaste. But, man, it's not ever smooth. Anyway, so I had this ginger beer, and I told him it was so good. I, and I was talking about how I've never tasted alcohol that tasted good before. This is good. And finally, somebody broke it to the ignorant one at the table who was talking, which was me. Um, that's their only non-alcoholic um, drink. <laughs> So I still haven't tasted any that tastes good to me. Um, but anyway, I say it like this. <laughs> I can do stupid all by myself. I don't need to put something in my body to make me do stupid better than I can do it by myself. I do it on my own. I make mistakes and do really dumb things uh, quite well. I don't need help. So I'm not going to put something in my body to make me dumber than I already am. So I don't want to do it. But it's not something that God looks at and goes, oh, there he goes, he tasted alcohol again, what a sinner. That's not the truth. You can drink alcohol and not sin. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about drunkenness. And a lot of people drink for that purpose because they're trying to dull something that's going on in their lives. They're trying to stop stressing. And they think they can find happiness in the bottle, in the bottom of a bottle. They think they can find happiness with drugs or alcohol because they want to become inebriated. It's a very trendy thing now. More and more, we're making it legal for people to put things in their body that clouds their judgment. That's what we're doing. I work in a place where people are staying for a while because they decided, hey, it's legal now. They got in an accident and they killed somebody because their judgment was clouded. 
because they think it's okay now that it's legal to make my judgment clouded. I can put this into my body and now I can drive and no, Mm -mm. no, not a good idea. But drunkenness is not something a Christian should ever aim for. Orgies. Oh my goodness, the preacher read that word in church. It's right there in the Bible. Let's make you a little bit more uncomfortable. Tell you a short story. I was a high school teenager. I actually, to this day, it bothers me because I was an influential high school teenager and there was an opportunity that came up where we could go to church camp. It was a, not an independent Christian church. But this church camp opportunity came up where the church so badly wanted kids to go to camp, but there were no kids in their church. But because, I don't know how they got a hold of me, but they got a hold of a teenager, me, who was influential to other teenagers, and they said, hey, if you want to get some of your friends together, we will fully fund all of you going to church camp. And it was a simple thing. It wasn't all week. It was just a short, short thing. It was an overnight thing. But they're not like our church camp that we support, Pleasant Valley. This was a very liberal church. And the people they got to go there were not trained very well, if they were trained at all. And basically, I got my friends to go, my non-believer friends, because I thought, hey, this is going to help them. And I went, and I was hoping to grow, too. But the adults just sat in the kitchen drinking their coffee, telling stories, and told us to go have fun. I don't remember. It's many, many years have passed since that time happened. So they, they could have read something to us, but I got nothing spiritual out of that whole thing except a life of being haunted by the fact that I invited my non-believer friends. Many, in fact, according to most of them that talked to me, that night that we stayed there, we got cabins for girls, cabins for boys, my guy friends are going, hey, you coming out with us? We're all leaving. No, we're supposed to stay in the cabin. No, we're, we're all going. I'm not doing that. That's against the rules. We're not doing that. I'm not doing it. And they all left. I was by myself. Of course, I got made fun of the next day. But they told me what they did. That word I just read, it's what they did. <clears throat> Christians, Christians, we don't do stuff like that. We don't engage in anything like that. Drinking parties. You know what's weird to me? Is there's a whole lot of people, even in churches, that think that when so-and-so in their family turns 21, they got to take them out and get them drunk. This is like a, the thing now. Is this in your family too? People just think this is what you do? It's nuts. Christians, we don't do that. But people do. People in churches have told me that this, that's the rite of passage. That's what you do. No, you don't. And lawless idolatry. I wish I had time. Maybe, maybe someday we'll have time to talk about idolatry. Idolatry, we, Christians oftentimes think that that escapes us, it's, that we don't, we don't engage in idolatry. We don't do that. We're Christians. We're not supposed to, but some of us do. Some of us get involved in putting things ahead of God. And that, my friends, can be idolatry. Lawless idolatry is what it's talking about here. 
This idea that you can do whatever you want as long as you don't get caught. Christians, some of us, as soon as we see a police car, we slow down. And the message we give our family is, it's okay as long as you don't get caught. And the way that plays out in your homes is your children learn from you. It's okay as long as you don't get caught. Mom or dad turned the corner, now you got to behave. Mom and dad turned the corner, now you got to put the gun back. You see how this can play out? This is bad. You don't do that. Don't encourage lawless behavior. Christians, we don't behave like that. That's the world. Now we get into controversy. Uh, if you didn't think we already were, here we go. For this is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now I spent some time reading various respected commentators on this, and I found the most insightful thing in an online forum where the guy who answered, I thought, the best, his name is Mike, and I know nothing more. But it doesn't matter. I think his answer aligns with Scripture. So I want to read that to you now. The question is, did, did, did really? Did Jesus, like, go back and preach to dead people? And that goes back to the passage we read earlier. He preached in prisons. Look at, listen to this. I think this is good. The only interpretation that I have been able to accept that makes sense from all angles is that these dead are referring to those who have physically died, especially in reference to the generation under Noah, because that was a passage we read last week, where only a few were saved through the Spirit of Christ's preaching to them by the judgment of the flood and the words of Noah. In other words, Peter is not saying that Christ, after he died, went to hell and preached to them, but Christ preached to those who died many years before he was incarnate. Peter's continuing this thought about the flood and the gospel of the ark and Christ's ancient preaching to those who are long ago died. Who long ago died. He is continuing this thought into the verse in question. So I will read verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The question that I was trained in my undergraduate seminary, my first undergraduate seminary, was always answer the question, so what, when you preach? So, so what? Number one, as Christ suffered for the greater good, so must we. And if we disagree with that, we are mentally and spiritually disarmed. Now, I told you a very uncomfortable story about a church camp experience that haunts me to this day. Because I, one of those people that was there, uh, he passed away while I was at Pleasant Valley a couple of summers ago. And he, he passed away an atheist. 
It bothers me. It bothers me because I've seen this play out many times where a Christian will say, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's what Scripture is talking about. They will not understand. They will malign you. That's what our text talks about. They will malign you. They, the world won't understand. They're going to talk bad about you because you chose to sit and stay instead of go and do the sins they're participating in. You didn't follow your passions. They don't want to have fun. That's a churchgoer. That's a Christian. They don't do that. Loser. That's the way they think. That's the way they talk. They don't understand. You're not going to get honored by them because you chose not to participate. But God knows. And you will be disarmed if you do not think like Christ wants you to think. Yes, there are many times when you should stand up for yourself. This is not telling us that you're just supposed to take it if you're in an abusive relationship. That's not what this is saying. But there are times when the greater good is to take it so that Christ is pleased and others can draw near to him. That is true. Sometimes it makes no sense to the world at all. We tell our story, uh, maybe they witness our story, and they just want to jump in and say, hey, you got to do this and you got to do that. you got to stand up and you gotta, you got to do all these things for yourself. No, I... I actually live for the Lord. And it's okay sometimes if I do without, if I struggle or if I suffer to please my Lord. Because if it pleases my Lord and I do the right thing, maybe somehow, some way, this will ultimately lead to other people drawing near to the Lord that were far from Him. Got to get your minds armed. If you don't think like this, you are disarmed mentally and spiritually. Um, number two, the word, I'm sorry, the world will most often not understand or appreciate our selflessness. And in fact, might attack us because we think and act differently. More than likely, that's the way it oftentimes plays out. Don't expect some kind of earthly reward every time you choose to suffer. Don't expect that just because you choose to be like Jesus and you're, you go through horrible things, that somehow, some way, you're going to get propped up as some great person. It is very likely you could go through, like John 15, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. What servant is greater than his master? Third, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And by the way, I didn't point this out to you in verse 5. Uh, some translations say the quick and the dead. Yep, that's where the name of the movie came from. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And he longs for both the spiritually alive and dead to repent and align with him and so be saved. That's the way it works. I recently had a... I got to read a really cool bunch of uh, articles 
It was posted in a Christian church, Church of Christ, online forum. So it's Restoration Churches. And in this forum, it was talking about preachers who plagiarize. Did you know that was a thing? Well, when preachers get together, we kind of joke about that sort of thing, you know, where you're always borrowing stories and stuff like that. But there are preachers that actually preach other people's messages and lie in doing it. They don't give credit where credit is due. They don't quote the quotes. And they'll tell stories like, I was in Florida with my wife on this trip and we did this. And they've never been in Florida, but because another preacher preached it in his message, they tell it just like it was them. And these preachers, there's some very big names in these stories. Some of these preachers have gotten caught and gotten in trouble because they've just been liars. Can't do that. And in, in reading this, I was also reading the threads of the commentaries, the people underneath. And then there began this thread that just really disturbed me. Somebody said, read more scripture, tell less stories. And then it went to other people's comments, just read scripture. And then that, there's a whole bunch. I, I, it just went on and on with people going, yes, my preacher does that too. He tells stories. I wish he'd just quit telling stories and just read the scripture. Just read the Bible. I want to jump in, but it's not going to be welcome because the majority, you know, has got their thread going and they're all happy about it. Do you realize that if that's all the preacher did in their churches, that any time a guest would come, they would just turn around and walk out? Preaching is not Bible reading. You can read the Bible while you're preaching, and you should, because you should be exposing the Bible. That's what preaching is. Jesus told wonderful stories. He set the example of the greatest preacher that walked the planet. I want to be like him. Tell a story that pulls you back into the Bible. That's the kind of preaching that I want to hear. That's the kind of preaching that I want to do. The kind of preaching that makes people want to open their Bible when they go home after church and learn more. That's what I want to do. So I want to pray for you right now. God, thank you so much for allowing us to meet together and open up your word. I ask that you take every person here and make them a Bible student if they aren't already. Make them hungry for your word, longing for it so much that they open it up and read it for themselves and believe what they see. God, give them what it takes to endure whatever struggles they have to endure in order to bring glory and honor to you and lead others to you. I ask that you would help them on any given subject to understand it with your wisdom and not be distracted by others. I ask that you'd help each one of us to live the life that is pleasing to you, not like the unbelievers do. Lord, I know you want the people who are spiritually dead to hear your word, but you also want the spiritually alive to hear your word. You want all people to be close to you. God, help us as we aim to do your will and to draw others closer to you. May we do this not only as a church, but as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. I got one more thing I want to tell you. So I, an atheist friend of mine, he and I work together. Any of you who are gun enthusiasts, ask me what I do with this guy, because we do fun stuff. But he's an atheist. He's made it clear we were doing some machining one day, and uh, he finally brought it up. Finally said, you know, one of these days I'm going to talk to you about 
talk to you about God. He goes, but you know, you know my, because he shared with me his a lot. And I could tell, I got him waiting on the timing. I'm going to talk to you about God. Okay, that's fine. He goes, but we're going we're gonna to get into it. I mean, we'll, we'll get really into it. I said, okay. He said, we'll probably, probably argue. So oh, you, you don't want to do that. And he said, why not? because you'll lose. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm ready. I said, okay, whenever you are, we can do that, but you're going to lose. Uh, but anyway, the conversation was good after that. But he... Um, he sent me a, a YouTube video from a couple years ago, and I watched it. And it's about these people that have action cameras around their house, and one of them was set to watch their vehicles, and it picked up. And this was on the news. And it picked up what looked like one picture, because there was action, that's why it took a picture, of what looks like an angel. And it, and it does. And then, and then it p- took another picture as the angel, apparently, an angel, moved. Woo! So you know where my mind goes when this sort of thing happens. My mind automatically goes to, yeah, right. Yeah. I know, I saw a lady who saw uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her toast. I mean, that kind of thing, Just I just, okay, hey, let your imagination go if it makes you happy. So I don't, I'm a skeptic. But what caught my attention was the expert that they brought on a man by the name of John Piper, who said that he was hit by a 16, an 18-wheeler and was killed and was brought back to life. And so he told his story. He said uh, that angels took him to heaven. He gave some biblical precedent for that. And that he actually saw people, and the only people he saw in, in heaven were people that he knew. He felt like it was a greeting space where the people that had helped him to get there were welcoming him to heaven. The people that he would say thank you to for leading me to Jesus so that I would make it to heaven, those people were there. And then he was brought back to life. The part that caught my attention was what he said afterwards. Because most of these times I'm skeptical. Somebody, there's other people that have said they've, they've gone to heaven, you know, and then they describe their thing to heaven. And I saw a light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And they, they, they go on to write books and make millions and never change to live for Jesus. That's why I'm a skeptic. This guy was living for Jesus. And he said, this is what got my attention. And I think it'll be good for you. He said, it made me think. Who am I going to get to say, welcome? Who can I think of that I can say, welcome to heaven? I know, I helped you come here. Think about that. Who in your mind can you think of, and let's think outside your family even, that you are confident that you're going to be able to say, come on, I know, I helped you. Who, who is that? I'll leave you with that.